Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. Hebrews 3, 16 through 19. As we look at these four verses here, we see that there's a series of three questions that are asked, and each question is answered with another question. And this is following the warning that came in the verses previous, where the author was warning these professing Christians to not be like their forefathers that perished in the wilderness. And so it was, the author was quoting Psalm 95 to make the point of warning for them to not go back and to not follow in the footsteps of their forefathers by hearing the word of God and not responding in faith, but rather responding in rebellion. And so we come to this conclusion here in verses 16 through 19, with a series of questions to further the point. Who was it that fell? Who was it that did not receive the promise of entering into the land? Uh, Who was it that did not uh, receive these promises of God? Well, it was those that rebelled against God. And in that, we're given a reason for their rebellion. In fact, that's what we call the sermon this morning, is the root of rebellion. The root of rebellion is very simple. It's unbelief. It's not having faith. And as this congregation was facing persecution, they're looking back to Moses. They're looking back to the Old Covenant as a means of security, as something to help them. They were looking back to the the old ways. And so the author is making the the, the point, it was those that were in that system that actually failed to receive the promise of God. So don't be like them. And in this explanation, we actually are faced with some very serious theological implications that cause us to examine our heart before the Lord. So as we look back and we see Israel's wanderings in the wilderness and how they died there and how they were under the judgment of God, we might see them from a distance and say that has nothing to do with us, but it actually uh, reminds us that we too are in a wilderness. We too are in this world waiting to enter into the promised land. And so God's word calls us to examine our hearts in light of them this morning. So let us hear the word of God. Verse 16, Hebrews 3. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? but to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. This is the word of God. As we consider these questions one by one and look at the answers that the word of God gives us, we will recount the history of Israel in the wilderness 
And let us reflect upon this this morning, where we may be in light of God's goodness to us. And let us all be assured uh, that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Notice the first question, question one, verse 16. Who heard and rebelled? Who were those who heard and yet rebelled? It's a rhetorical question. They know the answer to this. This was those that have already been referenced in the previous verses. But the point is here is that they indeed heard something. And in verse 9, we saw that not only that they had heard something, but they had actually seen something. So they had heard and they have saw. So who was it that had rebelled? It was those that had heard and saw. It was those who left Egypt with Moses. So that's the question. Who heard and rebelled? It was those that were with Moses. And remember, this congregation is looking back to Moses, looking back to the law, And so they're saying, you really don't want to go back to that. And there's an emphasis here on Moses. Those that fell, those that rebelled, it was those that were led by Moses. Why would you look back to Moses to be led by Moses? Moses is the one that when they were following him, they failed. And so this congregation, as they look back to the law, they look back to the old covenant, they look back to Moses... The author makes it very clear, it was those that rebelled that were led by Moses. Why look back there? Moses cannot change your heart. The law cannot change your heart. The law law, and Moses, they, they cannot lead you to the promised rest that God has said he would give you. Why would you look back on them? Now, there's an intentional focus here on the words hearing. We so oftentimes think that we are going to believe things that we can see, right? But the focus here is not on seeing. In fact, the overall thrust of this whole entire passage has nothing to do with what they saw, but rather with what they heard. That has incredible implications for us too, doesn't it? Because we don't see miracles today. We don't see a parting of the sea. But what what do we? We hear it. We hear it on a regular basis. So what is it that they heard? Well, just go back to Exodus with me for a moment. And we're going to go to Exodus 19. And I just want you to see this in the history of the people. And... In, in, in Exodus chapter 19, Israel is there before Mount Sinai, and God calls Moses up to him. And we read in verse 3, The Lord called to him, that is Moses, out of the mountain, saying, Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel. God pulls Moses aside and says, I have a task for you. And this is your task, is you are to tell them the words that I give you. What's the implication? That the children of Israel are to hear God's word through a mediator. They're hearing God's word through Moses. 
And so Moses is tasked with this duty of being given God's word that he will then speak God's word. And when the people hear God's word, do you know what their response to it is as hearing it from Moses? In verse 8 it says, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. They're responding to what they heard. They're responding to the word of God. In verse 10 and 11, we read this. The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in sight of all the people. Now, why does Yahweh say that he is going to come down in the sight of all the people so that they may see him? No, because we know that no one can behold the glory of God and live. It's because God now is going to directly speak to them. Verse 16, we see that take place. It says, On the morning of the third day there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. What's taking place? God reveals himself through these um, astronomical signs of lightning and firing, and the mountain itself is trembling, and God is representing himself before his people by his voice. And they hear God. Moses has already delivered to them a word from God. God then comes back and confirms Moses' message that they're hearing in these spectacular signs that we see here. And then God himself speaks in verse 1 of chapter 20. And God spoke all these words. God is speaking to his people directly. He is speaking to them through Moses himself. God is speaking. We see in Exodus chapter 24, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. Guess what their response was? And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. God is speaking to the people. The people are responding. It's tangibly that they're hearing them. In verses 7 and 8 of Exodus 24, it says, Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. 
When you see God making a covenant with His people there at Mount Sinai, it is directly related to what they heard, what God spoke, not only directly to them, but then also through His mediator, Moses. And every time they hear God's word, they say, we'll do everything you said. Boy, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? We, we're, we can actually relate pretty well to these Israelites standing at the base of Mount Sinai. God, we've heard your word. We'll do it. It's amazing that God puts an expectation upon this hearing. If you go back to chapter 20 and verse 1, we read these words, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You know what's amazing about that verse? That's going to introduce the Ten Commandments before God gives one decree of command to the children of Israel. He tells them, this is what I've done for you. It's me who rescued you through supernatural means from slavery. It's me who split the Red Sea and you have followed. It's me who rescued you from a plight that you could not have rescued yourself from. Now, I'm just going to ask you to do these things. Actually, God doesn't ask. He says, I am telling you to do these things. It's amazing that before he gives the Ten Commandments, he tells them, this is what I have done for you. By the way, that's how it always is in Scripture. We see done and then do. Our tendency and what the danger of the Hebrews was, was to reverse this. This is what we do, so that way something will be done for us. Don't ever mix that up. Because as soon as we mix that up, we've abandoned the gospel and embraced the law. Now, there's a natural expectation we have to recognize of listening to God, regardless of what He's done for you. And this should make sense to us. God is creator. God created you. We're creatures. Every single one of us is a creature, and we have a creator And so by the very nature of creation, we are obligated to listen to God. That makes sense. He created you. You are obligated now to respond to Him. Ecclesiastes 12.13 says that it is the duty of all of mankind to be obedient to God. And so there's this general thing that we have to recognize of of regardless of maybe what we have heard of the revealed will of God, every single human individual is responsible to God. The law of God is written upon every single human heart. There's no one that does not know law. How is it that you can look at throughout all of history and you will see societies that are arranged and governed according to God's law, even when they didn't have it written down for them? 
That's because God's law has been written on the heart of every single human being. Everyone knows innately that it's wrong to murder, that it's wrong to steal, that it's wrong to to covet. We know these things, and every civilization also knows something of the first four commandments. That is that there is a God because every civilization does what? Worships. The difference is without the revealed will of God, they result in pagan idolatry but they still worship something. There is an expectation upon every single human being by nature of being created, there is an expectation to God that you are obligated to His law. But there's something deeper here that's related to what we see going on in Exodus and being referenced in Hebrews is this, is that the wilderness generation, these Israelites, actually had a covenantal expectation of listening. So there's a general statement, all mankind will be accountable before God. All. But then there was a special expectation because the Jewish nation had received the covenants of promise. They had received the rules and the regulation. They had received these things from God. They had been chosen by God for this purpose. Why were they chosen by God? Because God chose a people to bring about His Messiah. And when they were in Egypt, they actually could look back upon the words of God to know why they were in the situation they were in. What do I mean by that? God had told their patriarch, Abraham, that they would actually be in bondage. We read this in Genesis chapter 15. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs and will be servants there. They will be afflicted for 400 years. I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. This is an amazing statement because the children of Israel, while they are in bondage in Egypt, could look back upon the very word of God and say, We know why we're here. This is part of God's plan. Because they had heard the word of God. Now, did they know that promise? Well, it seems like that because when you look at their situation, it is God that they cry out to. In Exodus chapter 2, verse 23, it reads this, During those many days the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Where did they cry? It says their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. When their situation had worsened, they look to the Word of God that had told them that they would be in this situation. They pray to God that God would, re, uh, would, would rescue them, and God fulfills that promise to them in rescuing them. You know, it's amazing something else about them being in Egypt that should have been 
apparent to them is this, is that when they went to Egypt, they were small, but when they left Egypt, they were large. That was actually God fulfilling his promise of his word to Israel that he would have a large nation. Even when they were in Egypt, God was fulfilling his promises to them. God kept his word. And then God raises up Moses through these extraordinary circumstances and brings Moses to a point where he can lead the people. He's raised in Egypt and Egyptian culture for 40 years. He uh, kills someone and he departs. He's now in the wilderness for 40 years and God reveals himself to Moses. Moses is 80 years at this time. That seems like a, a bad time to start a new career choice. But this was God's plan for Moses is to raise him up for this very purpose. And I want you to notice how Moses is to introduce himself to his people when he comes to be the one through which they will be delivered. In chapter 3, verse 16 of Exodus, it says, "Go." God tells him this, Go and gather the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you, And what has been done to you in Egypt? And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, to the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. God tells Moses, go to the children of Israel, go to the elders of them, and I want you to tell them and remind them of the word that I spoke to Abraham. He references the promises, which means this. They were aware of the promises. They had heard the promises. And God was continuing to fulfill his promises to them. Now, why do I make this big point? Who was it that heard and rebelled. Was it not those that God had revealed his plan to and that they actually referenced back to that very plan that God had spoken? And isn't that the same God that took them out of Egypt and revealed himself through extraordinary signs and then spoke words to them Again, that they heard and they said, everything that you say, everything that we have heard, we will do. There was an expectation upon them that was far greater as they had received the very word of God to them. They heard it. And what do we learn? Despite all of that, what did they do? says they rebelled. Despite all that God had spoken to them, all that God had promised and fulfilled before them, they still rebelled. I want you to see it's important we see here those promises to Abraham were not promises of salvation, of eternal salvation. They did not promise a change of heart. They did not promise those things. The Old Covenant was a, was a mixed covenant. 
tied to forming a nation, to giving them land and eventually giving them a king. And God fulfilled those promises to them during the wilderness. He was fulfilling them. And the whole point is this, is Moses could not deliver them to an eternal rest. Why would you look back to Moses as your Savior? Why would you look back to Moses? And you might think, I'm not looking back to Moses. Anytime we rest in our works for our assurance or for our salvation, and that becomes the basis of our salvation, what are we doing? We're actually looking back upon the law as our deliverer rather than the Savior who accomplished the law. Now this brings a second question. With whom was he provoked? And I love that there's this reminder, who, with whom was he provoked for those 40 years? 40 years they heard him. 40 years God had his hand out to them. And the answer is it's those who sinned and died in the wilderness. A people that had heard his voice. A people that had seen his signs. It was those that fell in the wilderness for 40 years. They heard his voice. And yet, they fell in the wilderness. Here's the reminder for us. If you look at chapter 4, verse 2 of Hebrews, what does it say about us? For good news came to us just as to them. That group that heard, that group that fell, heard good news And what happened? They fell. Guess who else has heard good news? Have you heard the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you heard that life-saving message, the gospel? Now the difference was what they heard pointed to Christ. So they saw things in shadows. They, they, they heard things that were given of types and shadows of Christ. They, they did not see clearly as we, as John Owen writes, they heard the gospel indeed, but obscurely and in law language, hard to be understood. We have it plainly, openly, and without parables declared unto us. End quote. They saw things through a shadow, but we can see things clearly. So the greater degree that you can see things and the greater degree to which you can understand things means there's to be a greater degree degree of provocation against those that can hear and yet reject it, right? They saw in shadows. We see plainly. We see clearly. They heard in ambiguity. We hear the gospel message clearly. They heard a message that pointed to Christ. We can look back upon Christ. And so the greater degree of our knowledge, the greater degree of things that we have seen, the greater responsibility that is upon us and upon those Hebrews 
In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15 says, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Do you hear what that says? Those that receive the message, it's a fragrance of life. Those that hear the message but reject the message, it's a fragrance of death to death. There's a greater responsibility upon those that hear and that those that reject. I want you to recognize what the sole center point of worship in the New Testament is. Over and over again, we see the emphasis in the New Testament worship is not upon things that we see but rather the emphasis is upon what we hear. Why does Paul tell Timothy his his duty is to do what? Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. What do we hear about the word? It is the breathed out word of God. What else are we told? Is that, that no prophecy came by the will of man, but men spoke by God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Always be prepared to give a defense for the hope that you have in Christ Jesus. Over and over and over again, we have this emphasis upon the centrality of the Word of God being spoken. Remember, we see clearly, we see plainly, we hear clearly, we hear plainly. They saw in shadows, they heard in ambiguities, How much of a greater responsibility upon us? There's also something else that we should notice about this. Not only the responsibility upon them, but this goes against our modern uh, sensitivities. It says, he was provoked. God was provoked by their disobedience. There is a consequence for sin. There is judgment for sin. Provoked equals angry. Provoked means wrath. Provoked means punishment. Provoked means justice. God's holy nature was assaulted in sin, and God's holy nature, anytime sin takes place, is assaulted. There's a corresponding judgment. The Bible calls it God's anger. God, the Bible calls it God's provocation, that he is provoked. It says that he, he is angry. Those that heard the law, those that had received the law, those that said, all that we hear, we will do, are the ones that received God's justice and anger and wrath. Now, we, we want to we just distinguish between something for us, and I, I hope this is helpful for us in how we understand the correlation between God's anger and our sin. Because we have to distinguish between punishment and discipline. 
judgment and discipline. Those are two different things. Punishment is justice being served. And it's, it's stated there is that they fell in the wilderness. And really that means that as they come into the wilderness, they fell before the wilderness. The wilderness conquered them. But we, we see an example of this with the golden calf in Exodus chapter 32 in verse 27. It says this, And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword... Moses is speaking, commanding the people, but notice what Moses teaches us. Moses says, God is telling me to do this. This is God's idea. This is not Moses' idea. The Lord God of Israel said, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. God commanded them to do this. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. God had rescued them. Moses is on the mountain speaking with God, and the people get anxious. Where is this Moses guy? Aaron, why don't you make for us a golden calf? And so Aaron makes all of the means to put together this calf. And he says, Behold your God that rescued you from Egypt. They rebelled against God. And what does God say to do? God says, go put swords on your sides and go kill them. 3,000 of them dropped dead in the wilderness. They had heard the word of God. They had seen the promises of God fulfilled before their eyes. And yet they looked at a golden calf. And Aaron, Aaron is the one who made it. And it's always interesting to me when, when Aaron says, well, these people made me did it, and, and out popped a golden calf like he had nothing to do with it. Like it just happened. That's justice being served. God as creator had every right to do that. But there was even, a, a, even an, because they were the covenantal people, and there's this greater expectation upon them. There's a fiercer wrath that comes upon them, isn't there? That's justice being served. We shouldn't confuse that with discipline. Because the Christian knows this. In Christ, justice has already been served on the cross. But does that mean that if I sin, there's not a consequence that comes from God's hand? We should recognize there is a consequence for it. It comes in the form of what we call discipline. Discipline is different. When you see God's justice being served, we see that word provoked, his wrath, his anger coming out upon a people. That is his justice. But then what do we see for the Christian that finds himself rebelling against God? Actually, you don't see that God was provoked, but you see him as a loving father. 
In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7, it says this, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. In other words, the consequence of, di- of our sin as Christians, as Christians, is God's fatherly, loving hand of discipline. We, we understand this. I think our children understand this. That if I'm actually not disciplined, my, God, my, my father doesn't really actually love me. But if my father sets boundaries in place for me, it's a demonstration of his loving hand upon me. And so when the Christian rebels against God, you might face his, the consequences of that. Could even be sickness, could be death. I mean, there's, there's consequences for our sin, right? Could be walking, it could be living with choices, whatever it is. There's, there's, there's consequence for that. But for the Christian, we recognize this is the, from the hand of a loving, perfect, holy Father over us. Often because we decide to wander from the Lord, the Lord will discipline us through various means. But there is always a difference between that and the Lord being provoked, which is His justice being executed. But why would we push that boundary as Christians? We don't want to receive that hand of discipline. But praise God when you receive it, because that's Him correcting you. That's Him seeing that you persevere. That is Him holding you to the end. This brings us to a third question. Question number three in verse 18. And to whom did He swear that they would not enter His rest? That's the question. The answer is to those who were disobedient. Those were disobedience. There was the consequence for their disobedience. There's still that consequence for disobedience. If we are in Christ, we may face consequences in this life for sinful choices as we've already seen. And, but if we're not in Christ, we will experience the eternal consequences of our choices. Why did they not receive the rest? Because it says that they were disobedience. And really, this is, if you look at these three questions, this is the climax of it. Who were those that heard and rebelled? So that's the first question. They rebelled. With whom was he provoked? And then, verse 18, and a climactic statement, God makes an oath. They will not enter my rest. And that is the climax of the questions here. God swore upon his own name that they would not enter. God makes an oath with himself. God swears that they will not enter his rest. Cause was their disobedience. Now, does this mean that all of those 
that died in the wilderness were lost and did not have a saving relationship with God? It's not what it means. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says it this way, Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. And that word overthrown is very interesting. It means to be spread out. So it's like they were spread out over uh, the wilderness and were taken out by God. It was God's hand that actually is the source of them not making it. Ultimately, it was the hand of God upon them that spread them out. But they rejected God. Now, they had heard all of these wonderful things. They had seen all of these things. Uh, The emphasis is not on the seeing, but the emphasis is on the hearing. You have to ask this question, how could this happen? How could a people receive such great promises? How could a people hear the wonderful message of deliverance in a land of milk and honey that's awaiting for them? How could they reject it? They had heard God's voice. God spoke to them tangibly through Moses. How could they reject such a great message? That should be our question. How could anyone reject such a great message? Well, look at verse 19. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. What's the explanation for their rebellion? What is the explanation for their sin? What is the explanation for their rejection and for their disobedience? And what is the explanation for why they could not receive the eternal rest that God was promising them? The text tells us it's very simple. They didn't believe. But wait, wait, wait. We saw already in Exodus, that they said, we will do all the things that that God has told us to do. They said that. They saw these things. They heard them. They they, they even said, pour the the blood of the covenant on us, which was, was a sign to say, yes, we will follow all of these words, lest we will become like these animals that's blood has been thrown on us. But what do we see ultimately The problem was this. They didn't believe. Why didn't they go into the land? They didn't believe. Why did they rebel? Because they didn't believe. Why were they disobedient? They didn't believe. So the explanation for rebellion, for disobedience, for sin is unbelief. The explanation for not entering into the rest of God was because of unbelief. Let me bring this home for us. Jesus says this, Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Well, think about that for a second. Those are wonderful words. How many of us here are sin-free? 
How many of us have never rebelled against God? How many of us have never been disobedient to God? How many of us have never sinned against God? We all have. We all stand guilty before God's law. As if we look in the law as a mirror, it reveals to us who we are. That we never quite worship God as we are to. We don't love God as much as we ought. We don't keep the Sabbath holy as we ought. We're, we, we don't respect and honor our parents like as we should have. We, we don't think of other people as uh, other people created in God's image like we should have. We, we don't always have faithful hearts towards our, our loved ones. We, we're not always honest. Sometimes we exaggerate the truth. and We covet things constantly. The wonderful news is this, whoever believes is not condemned. You're not condemned. If you stand in Christ this morning, if you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ with the empty hand of faith, guess what? Here's the good news. Jesus says this to you, you're not condemned. And it's based on this, belief. On faith. If you have trusted in Jesus, you're not condemned. But look what Jesus goes on to say. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Now, how could I be condemned already? Well, because we've already looked in the, in the mirror of the law and seen that it condemns us already, haven't we? We've looked in the mirror of the law and seen that before it, we don't meet the standard. It goes on. Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. That's the truth for us today. You know, consider what you have heard in your life. You have heard the goodness and the promises of the Lord. Have you heard how he sent his Son Truly man, truly God, and one person that would live a perfect life and die on a cross for the sins of his people and be raised in three days. Have you heard that? Peter, or excuse me, Paul says that that's the gospel. Have we heard that? You see, if we've heard that, what have we seen in the book of Hebrews? If we've heard that, How much greater is our accountability to it? Remember what he says. Who was it that fell in the desert? Those that heard. What is it that we've heard? You think about this as in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. It says, faith comes from what? Hearing. Faith comes from hearing. Faith isn't by sight, but faith is by hearing. It comes from hearing. Hearing the word of God. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13, when he goes before people and he's speaking before them, and they're not listening, he says, Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can 
barely hear and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart in turn, I would heal them. Let me ask you, have you heard the word of the gospel this morning? That promise that if you would turn and hear, Christ promises that he would heal you. That's not speaking of a physical healing. Well, it is in one sense because one day we will all be physically healed. One day we will receive glorious bodies. But he's saying he will restore our relationship with God. Let us not be like that generation that hears the word of God and says, yes, I believe that and I I will do that, but we still yet do not believe. Let us take that warning. It was those that were led by Moses that fell. It was those that heard the word of God that fell in the wilderness. Let us not be like them, but rather let us hear the good news of Christ and take comfort and rest in our Lord and Savior because if we believe in Him, we are no longer what? Condemned. But we are set free in Him. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the glorious truth of the gospel message that in Christ we may be set free. We know that our heart sometimes tends to wander, but we we thank you for your loving hand of discipline. And Father, may we take this warning seriously. You, you reprove and correct those that you love, and may we also take this seriously and examine our own hearts before your word this morning. May we examine our own hearts before this text of Scripture. May we not, may we not be like those that heard but yet rejected because of unbelief. So we pray for your grace upon us. We pray for your grace that we would trust in the Lord Jesus with all our heart and that we would love you with all of our heart, mind, and soul. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.